Well, good morning, and uh, glad you could be with us here in uh, Fellowship 2, our second service. Uh, we um, had a good group in Fellowship 1, and last night uh, in FSAT, uh, people enjoy coming outside and, um, of course, downstairs uh, with F3, and uh, as we've mentioned a few months, we're going to actually have Fellowship Bible Church in Shenandoah County, so a lot of fun things happening, so glad you could be with us. Emily Marshall, um, she will always view uh, Robert Moore as her hero. Emily is uh, 23 years old now, but uh, she uh, about didn't live to see age two. You see, when she was a 19-month-old toddler, her mom was out in the backyard plant, planting flowers, and Emily uh, wandered away and somehow ended up on the railroad tracks with a 96-car Norfolk Southern freight train coming towards her. Um, Robert Moore was the conductor of the train, and he looked ahead on the track. He thought he saw a little dog on the track, and he blew his whistle, and the little head of Emily popped up, and then he realized this is no puppy dog. This is a little baby. And so he and um, his um, engineer, uh, Rodney Lingle, uh, swung into action. They applied the brakes, and Robert somehow got out in front on the very tip of the engine. There was a handrail there. And uh, as the train, train was only going 24 miles an hour, but there was no way it was going to stop with that weight coming. It was slowing, but he was out on the front, hanging onto the handrail, leaning over, and just as the train came to little Emily, he was able to take his foot and push her off the track and then jump down and cradle her and protect her until the train came to a full stop. Uh, Robert Moore will always be Emily Marshall's hero. Uh, he was later to receive a, a, an award for heroism from the United States Secretary of Transportation. You know, it's a dangerous thing to be a to be a baby, to be an infant. Um, you got to be cared for constantly. You're vulnerable, you're helpless, you, you can't care for yourself. It's a dangerous thing to be a little infant. And it's also a dangerous thing to be a spiritual infant, especially if that infancy is prolonged five, 10, 30 years and still a spiritual infant. Throughout the New Testament, we're warned about the danger of prolonged uh, spiritual infancy. Uh, for instance, in a passage like Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and cared about by every wind of doctrine or trickery of men, uh, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head even Christ. Let's move forward from spiritual infancy. Or 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20 says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet evil be infants. But in your thinking, be mature. Don't be stuck in prolonged infancy. Or another key passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In fact, you can take a look at that, turn there, it's up on the screen here, but he still wrote, I, brethren, cannot speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able 
to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? Oh, this was a church. These were believers in Jesus Christ, the Corinthian church. They were born again. They were heaven-bound. There's no question they were Christians. But there was something majorly wrong in the Corinthian church. They were stuck in this prolonged infancy. If you look there again at verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. And the King James will say, uh, men who are carnal. I think the NIV uses the word worldly, worldly, carnal, fleshly. Um, Paul uses a word here. It's not a bad word. It's, it's a word, sarkanas, uh, the word for flesh there, worldly, what does it mean? Well, he defines it right afterwards as infants in Christ. You know, we talk about new Christians. They're, they're baby Christians. They're infants in Christ, sarkanas Christians. Nothing wrong with that. You come to faith in Christ, you're a baby Christian, and now you've got to grow with getting the good nourishment of the milk of the Word and, 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 and grow by it. But that's not what was happening to the Corinthian church. He goes on and says, um, you know, I gave you milk to drink and solid, not solid food, for you weren't able to receive it. And then he says, and now even you're not yet able. They were stuck in prolonged infancy. He said, for you are still, verse 3 says, fleshly. There's that word again, at least in our English translations, King James, carnal, NIV, uh, worldly, but it's a different Greek word this time. It's the word sarkakas. Being sarkanas, no big deal, it's a, it's a baby Christian. Now you've got to grow. But these folks were sarkakas. They were stuck in prolonged infancy. This is not good. They were not maturing. They were not enjoying the solid food. And that's Paul's main concern. The Corinthians had this inability to take in nourishment, the solid food of the Word, the great depths of the Word, like we saw there in 1 Corinthians 2, the wisdom of God. It was like some spiritual force shield around their minds that the Word just kind of bounced off the truth of it. They were in a state of, of perpetual infancy. They were sarkakas Christians. And he says the proof of that is, uh, last part of verse 3, or verse 3, it says, since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? For verse 4, one of you says, I'm of Paul. Another says, you know, I'm of Paulus. Are you not like mere men? In other words, they were focusing on the temporal. They were focusing on men. They'd lost their perspective of God. It was like God was kind of lost in the, in the shadows of all that was taking place down in this temporal realm. They'd forgotten about God. Uh, they were sarkakas, prolonged infancy. It is dangerous to be a little infant. Another key passage I want you to turn to is the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 5, 
take your Bibles over there to the book of Hebrews chapter 5. And uh, in verse 10, the writer of the book of Hebrews mentions an Old Testament person by the name of Melchizedek. He says he's designated by God as a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Well, we would check him out. He'll be found in Genesis chapter 14. But the writer goes on in verse 11 and says, Now concerning him we have much to say, but it's hard to explain it since you have become dull of hearing. He goes on, starting in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, constant use, their senses are trained to discern good and evil. This passage, the writer is telling us that there are three marks of, of spiritual immaturity, of prolonged infancy. Three characteristics, the first being that prolonged infancy is marked by an inability to receive God's Word, to take it in. You become dull of hearing, verse 11. Man, I got some wonderful things I want to tell you about Melchizedek, but I can kind of see the things they're glassing over here. You become dull of hearing, slow to learn. It's a malady where God's Word just doesn't penetrate. It, it just, it's not registering. It, it's not doing anything for me. Now, in the previous chapter, chapter 4, he's using the illustration of the, or the analogy of the children of Israel in the Old Testament and their wilderness wanderings. And in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, we have had good news preached to us just as they did also back in the Old Testament, the Jewish people in the Old Testament. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not mixed, mingled, united by faith in those who heard it. Oh, they heard the word all right. They just didn't believe it. They chose not to believe it. It didn't penetrate their spiritual skull. It wasn't mixed with faith. And notice in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, he says, you have become dull of hearing. It wasn't like that they were always that way. I mean, these were people who, man, they got saved. They were sarkanas. They were baby Christians. Man, they were hungry. Give me more. Give me more. They're, you look at their Bibles. They're filled with notes. I mean, they're taking stuff. And they, they hey, when's the next men's Bible study going on? When's the, when do the women's Bible studies meet? And man, they want to learn and they're growing. And it's like you've got to set an alarm clock at night to tell them when to go to bed because they're always in the Bible. They want to learn. But they had now become something that they at one time were not. Jesus, in uh, the gospel accounts, uh, told a parable called the parable of the soils. Remember that? We won't bother to turn there, but Mark chapter 4 is one of the, one of the passages. The sower sows 
the seed, remember, and it falls on these different soils with different responses. And then Jesus interpreted it. He said that the seed is the Word of God. The sower sows the Word of God. And sometimes it, 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 it falls on the road and the hard-packed road. And the birds come and it snaps it away and it said, takes it away. And he says, that, that's Satan comes. Before it even has an opportunity to germinate, there's no life. It's just taken away. Some of the seed, he says, falls on the rocky places. And he said that, that rocky place, well, they receive it immediately with joy. It takes root. There's an initial life, but he says, the afflictions of the world, the persecutions of life. You know, quite frankly, in some of those business settings, in some of the, the, the world in which we live, it's just, you know, it's just easier to kind of blend in. It just... You know, I'll, I'll be a secret service Christian because uh, it's, just, it's just too hard. And all of a sudden, the troubles of life, the persecution set in, and the Word just withers, and there's no fruit. Some of the seed, the Word, Jesus said, it's, it's, uh, it's sown, and again, there's, there's initial life that's there, and then the thorns and the thistles come. And Jesus says, you know what those thorns and thistles are? It's the cares of the world. It's the, the deceitfulness of riches. You know how life is. Just get busy. We got to, you know, get the, the kids to the ball games, and we got to do this, and we got to, you know, uh, get that little extra job to pay for college, or we got to do this, and, and oh, and then we get married, and then we have kids, and then, you know, and all of a sudden, oh, we got to plan for retirement, and, and we're, oh, we got these trips coming up, and all of a sudden, you know, life just passes by, and we've been overwhelmed with the busyness and the cares, and, you know, I, I, I'd love to come to church more often, and, and yet, as George Barna research says the average Christian in America today shows up at church 1.67 times a month. Well, we're just busy. I would love to be a part of that small group or that Bible study, but you know, I, I, I got to fit this in and, and you know, we, we got this going on and I'll, I'll get around to it sometime. You know, and people have a pocket full of round to it's. We're going to get around to it sometime. And Jesus is saying the life is just choked out. And what results is prolonged infancy. Something terribly goes wrong. For the Hebrews, here in Hebrews chapter 5, they had become now dull of hearing, sluggish in appropriating God's truth. They were sarkakos, just like the Corinthians. There's a key principle here, and that is if we're not progressing in our Christian life, then we are automatically retrogressing. You see, there's no middle ground. We're either progressing or we're retrogressing. We don't ever stay in a place of, of neutrality, no in-between ground. If we're not moving forward, we're moving backward, and then we lose the ability to receive God's Word. Um, a characteristic of prolonged infancy and inability to, to receive God's Word. I like how the poet put it when he wrote, Sunday, the sermon was sluggish. It was hard attention to keep. 
The theme was faultily chosen. It almost put me to sleep. Monday was blue with sheer boredom. Tuesday, it was carnal by choice. But Wednesday, my conscience was awakened by pleas from that still small voice. And prayer meeting left me uplifted, loyalty lingering long. Thursday, my heart was responding. Friday, the nudging was strong. I came to thorough repentance the following Saturday. I yield in full surrender as all on the altar I lay. Sunday, the sermon was perfect, superb, and quality at its peak. It's amazing how greatly that pastor improved in the space of one week. <laughs> now, we, yeah, thank you. That's, I wish I would have read. I, as, as a Bible teacher, yeah, I accept the fact that there are times where people don't receive the word because they become dull of hearing. There's a spiritual sluggishness. But at the same time, let me just say, sometimes people become dull of hearing because the speakers become dull of speaking. Let's be honest about that. And I want to just encourage you, any of you who teach the Bible, I mean, it could be down in learning center to children five years old or, or, or a seniors group with 95-year-olds in it. I mean, and everywhere in between. Um, parents at home teaching the Bible to kids. Make it interesting. One of my old professors at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, once said, it is a terrible sin to bore people with the Word of God. I mean, this is life. So, you know, you sometimes you want to say, do, do you believe it? Well, teach it like you believe it. When we open up the Scriptures and we're communicating it to anybody, if, you're, if you have any role that way, let's be creative, let's be interesting, let's, let's teach the Word of God with passion and compassion. Um, and, then if, and then if people become dull of hearing, then that's between them and the Lord. There's a second mark of prolonged infancy in this passage, and that is that it's, there's an inability to share God's Word. Not only an inability to receive it, it can't impart it. You can't impart what you don't possess, an inability to share it. Verse 12 says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You know, someone comes up to you and says, you know, I've got this issue going on in my life. And, and the writer of the book of Hebrews saying, you know, you ought to be able by now to take the Word of God and sit down with someone and say, well, let me help you think this through in a biblical way. Let, let's see what the Bible has to say about this. And you're able to all of a sudden have scriptures start popping into your mind and, and, and being led by the Holy Spirit to help lead and guide someone in the truth of God's Word. But when we're stuck in prolonged infancy, that, there's that inability to be able to handle the Word of God, to be able to impart it, to be able to share it. Why? Because we've retrogressed. It says, you have need again, verse 12, for someone to teach you the, the ABCs, the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You need milk again, not solid food. You're no longer a meat and potatoes Christian. You're back on the bottle. It's one thing to brand a brand new Christian as a, as a sarkonos. But as time goes on, and they're stuck in prolonged infancy. 
They become sarkakas. Be kind of sad, wouldn't it, to have a like a magic wand, you know, on a Sunday morning or in a Bible study group. You could take that wand and you can wave it over the people, and and they would instantly become visibly like they are in their spiritual chronology. You know, people who maybe have been Christians for 40 years, and you wave that wand, and there they are, diapered and sucking a bottle. They were a Christian like for one year in growth, and it's just been repeated 39 times. It's a sweet story of a mom who put her little three-year-old to bed one night, said the prayers, tucked her in, kissed her, shut off the light, went back downstairs, and about 15 minutes later, she heard a thud as a three-year-old little girl had fallen out of bed. And then, you know, there's just a few seconds of quiet and then this wail of, of uh, fear and pain. And so mom rushed back upstairs and scooped up the little girl, put her back in bed and comforted her and quieted her. And, and she said, you know, honey, I, how, how did you come to fall out of bed? And the little girl simply said, well, I, I suppose I fell asleep too near the place that I got in. I fell asleep too close to the place that I got in. And believers in Jesus Christ, in a state of prolonged infancy, fall asleep too close to the place that they got in. Does that describe some of us this morning? Do we start out strong? Good memories, exciting about the Word of God? Have we become dull of hearing? The same old, same old. There's just not a whole lot of excitement about, about God. There's a key principle, and that is when we fail to pass on what we know, we're going to begin to lose what we know, and we'll have to be taught it all over again. If we're not progressing, we're retrogressing. We can't impart what we don't possess. There's a third mark of spiritual immaturity in this passage, and that's this inability to apply God's Word. We don't receive it, we can't share it, and we're simply not applying it. Everyone who partakes only of milk, he says in verse 13, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. He's an infant. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, putting it into use, applying it, they have their, their senses trained to discern good and evil. The NIV says, you're not acquainted with the word of righteousness, and therefore, because you're not putting it into practice, um, you've lost a, a, a discerning, distinguishing ability to know really what is, what is the good, perfect, acceptable direction from God. We become aimless, aimless. We, we can't make the proper choices in life. You take a, a baby and put the baby on the floor with a brightly colored marble and a 200-carat diamond. The baby might probably go for the marble because it's prettier. Um, there's no discernment of value. 
put a bottle of poison on the floor with a, a little sippy cup of orange juice. They may go for the poison because there's no discernment. An inability to discern, to distinguish between that which is, is right and that which is good because they're not applying the Word of God. They can't. And so here's another key principle. Prolonged infancy increases the danger of spiritual disaster. There are believers in Jesus Christ who are on their way to heaven. You see, because going to heaven is not based on how I'm performing now. It's a free gift. We don't earn it, and we don't maintain it by our behavior. My assurance of getting to heaven is based on how good Jesus did on the cross. That's my assurance of salvation. But there sure are a lot of Christians not enjoying the trip. They've been stuck in prolonged infancy to stand before God and not hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. No, there's spiritual disaster that can await a believer who's stuck in prolonged infancy. It robs us of experiencing intimacy with God. That's what we've been created for. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. We get stuck in prolonged infancy. God is just removed from our life experience. It stunts our ability to become all that God has created us to become, all that He's intended for us to become. And it makes us susceptible to the evil designs of the, of the, of the enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of a sudden, we crash and burn. And then we wonder where God is. Why is this happening to me? How do we avoid prolonged spiritual infancy? infancy? How, do, how do we avoid this, this, this problem that we're warned against so often in the New Testament? Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. Because we're going to start back up our study of the book of Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 over the next uh, number of weeks. And I believe very sincerely that Romans 6, 7, and 8, the truths, the spiritual truths in Romans 6, 7, and 8 that we are about to embark on in this study are crucial to awaken us out of spiritual infancy and dullness, if that's the malady we find ourselves in, and to propel us and move us on to greater heights of maturity because the profound truths of Romans 6, 7, and 8, I think, are designed to help us understand how this thing called the Christian life really works. And if we mix it with faith, see, my responsibility as we study this section of Romans, or any book of the Bible, is to make sure I study it and try to communicate it as clearly as I can. I'm going to try to present the truth of God's Word. That's my part of the deal. And your part of the deal is to take what I say, run it through the grid. Of, is, is this really true? You, 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 you criticize it properly, and then you mix it with faith and believe it. 
and ask the Holy Spirit to see this begin to work out in your life. And I'm convinced, people, that when God's people come with God's Word, they don't stay in prolonged infancy very long. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit begins to energize and work, and, and we get excited again. The, the dullness of hearing all of a sudden leaves us, and we begin on that road to maturity. And that's where God wants us. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, for instance, it tells us, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace will increase? May it never be. And then he utters this phrase, how shall we who died to sin still live in it? How shall we who have died to sin continue to live a life that is subpar, less than what God has designed for us? How shall we who have died to sin live a life that doesn't measure up to the fullness and the richness that God has intended for His children? How shall we who have died to sin not live in the exciting um, adventure of being a member of the family of God in a fallen world? How shall we who have died to sin continue to live in it? it? It's preposterous to think this. And then he'll begin to unpack why that is so and how we can progress and move on to maturity and to experience all that God has designed for us. Romans 6, 7, and 8 is crucial. It is so important it's about how, to, how we can live the abundant life that God has designed us to live. And so where, where are you at? Where am I at spiritually this morning? Is God, God's Word changing us? Is something transformative taking place because we've exposed ourselves to the truth and we're, we're, we're tasting that, that more solid food of the Word of God? Or have we become dull of hearing, spiritually sluggish? Are we progressing? Are we retrogressing? Because if we're not moving forward, we are certainly moving backwards. Let me just say, Fellowship Bible Church, we'll be celebrating our 40th anniversary here in, in a couple of weeks, September 6th. And for 40 years, that's been the whole purpose why FBC was founded, why God raised this church up. We talk about it in our mission statement, to prepare and deploy dependent disciples who change their world for Christ as we're being changed by Him ever-changing, ever-being-transformed by the power, ever-progressing. Are you a dependent disciple? See, we want to see people who are at letter B in their Christian life to move to letter C and then to D. We want people who are at letter M to move to letter N, who are at a 5 to move to a 6. We want, we want to see people look a, a lot more like Jesus at the end of this year than we looked at like Jesus at the beginning of the year. We want to progress. Why? Because that's what we've been designed for. And that's where real abundant life, that's what living is all about and experiencing Christ to the fullness. Prolonged spiritual infancy, it's a dangerous place to be. High up on the Alps, there's a monument 
raised in honor of a, of a faithful rescuer who was climbing to rescue a, a trapped amateur climber um, in a storm. Neither one of them made it. But there's a plaque with his name on it that simply says, he died climbing. Our life is all going to come to an end at some point. And the question is, will we die climbing? Ever ascending to greater heights of, of knowing God, of growing in the grace and knowledge of Him, of growing in the rich experience of the fullness of God, of growing in, into that life that we've been designed to live. Always climbing always ascending. Let's pray. Father, as we anticipate opening up Your Word in Romans 6, 7, and 8 in these coming weeks, we really do depend on Your Holy Spirit to awaken within us the, the greatness of these truths and, um, and seeing seeing them applied in our life, that we will practice and have our senses trained to discern what is right, what, what, what your heart is, what makes sense in this senseless world, where there's light that we follow, that we live by, where there's such darkness in this evil age. Father, we need, um, we need uh, uh, your Spirit to enlighten us to awaken us from maybe a, a sense of dullness of hearing and move us more progressively forward out of prolonged infancy if that's where we're in. Lord, it's your grace and it's your mercy that will allow that to happen. Um, may we present ourselves to you and just say, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You're the potter, I'm the clay, so just mold me and make me after your way, after your will. Teach me, Father. And help me to grow. Help me to bear the fruit that I've been designed to bear. Use these weeks in Romans to accomplish that good work, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen.